This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to iFanboy's Toxplode with Ibrahim Mustafa. Friends. How many of us have them? Friends. Ones we can depend on. Friends. How many of us have them? Friends. Before we go any further, let's be friends. friends. The word we use every day. Most of the time we use it in the wrong way. Now you can look the word up again and again. But the dictionary doesn't know the meaning of friends. And if you ask me,
Hey, it's another episode of Talksplode. I am Josh Flanagan of iFanboy.com. This is our creator interview podcast uh, where I talk to comic book creators. And, uh, I mean, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. This episode, we have Ibrahim Mustafa, uh, a guy I have known uh, for quite a long time. We even did a pitch together way back when. But since then, he's gone on to do a, a lot of stuff in the industry. He's worked for Marvel and DC. He's done high crimes. He's been nominated for Van Eisner. Uh, now he is doing Count with Humanoids, part of a three graphic novel deal that he has with them. It, it's kind of amazing, and I'm really glad we got to have this conversation. Hey, this is Josh Flanagan with iFanboys Talksplode, and I'm here with Ibrahim Mustafa. Hello. Hello. Hi. And it, he's he's my friend, and this is the first time we've ever spoken, which is a thing that happens now. Right. <laughs> In like a decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that decade went really fast, to be, did, to be completely it? honest with you. Except for the last year of it. That's been seven. <laughs> that's it's, it's an odd combination of fast and slow, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, so... Just, I guess it's always it's always important to me to be like, so here's the deal, so that people know. Uh, you and I, you were a, a listener of the show. Uh, used to post on iFanboy a lot, and and you reached out to me one time a long time ago and said, hey, if you want to work on something, and I went, oh, cool, and you showed me your stuff, and, and I've said this with other people. A lot of people would ask me like that, but many people were not really ready for prime time. And and when you showed me stuff, I went, oh wow, you could actually you could do this, and so I was very excited about that. Um, but you were. You said you were working in a hotel at the time? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because you're so, like, I can do it in between the hotel shifts. And I was like, holy cow. <laughs> yeah. When I when I decided that comics was the thing that I wanted to do, I was, uh, I you know, through a series of jobs, I've been working since I was 15 years old and, you know, kind of just fell in from one thing into another in all these random ways. And I eventually found myself as a mattress salesman <laughs> in a mattress showroom. And, uh, I, it was like 12 hour days, you know, cause it was retail. So you'd be there from nine to nine and I was in school at the time and I had like split days off so I could go to school on Mondays and Wednesdays. You know, I, chip, I was chipping away at community college. I was in my early twenties and, um, eventually I realized like I want to draw comics. And so I took the advice of a friend and got and found a service industry job because I could work fewer hours and make tips, you know, to kind of cover the the difference there. Um, so yeah, I found a job doing room service in a hotel. Um, and what I would do is I would wake up every day at like eight o'clock and I would draw until about three when I had to leave for work and I'd work from like four to 11 or midnight. I'd come home. Sometimes I'd draw for another hour or two, go to sleep, wake up, do it all again. And I did that for like five years <laughs> jesus you know it's funny this is terrible but when you said that to me i totally pictured a person in that little bellboy outfit you know with the hat and the suit thing right. and, and it that that little bit of that image is still in my head sometimes it's very it's in the background but i thought oh that's that's that was the image that stuck with my head so uh let me go back further from there then so uh wh- where are you from when did you you know when did you get into comics how did this become a thing that you wanted to do yeah. Um, so I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I was born in Seattle, Washington, and then I've lived in the you know greater Portland area since I was about five. <laughs> um, so I grew up here, which is funny because so many people, you know, migrate here for comics. Right. And it, right. I just luck of the draw. I was like, oh, I'm already here. Cool. Did you <laughs> did you know that that was a, like it was a comics town or, or did, did you find know. that out later? Yeah, it was much later. I mean, I you know, there was sort of just like the generic knowledge of dark horse Portland. Right. Yeah. 
And and so anytime you mention anything comics, people would say, oh, Dark Horse, but they didn't really know what it meant, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I wasn't really into comics. So, you know, when I was a little kid, you know, I grew up watching the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, and um, I was born in 85, so Ninja Turtles was, like, right in my age wheelhouse. So I had comics of, of both of those things, you know, Superman, Batman, Ninja Turtles. Um, and then, of course, you know, I was uh, the prime age for the X-Men cartoons, so I had, you know, X-Men comics as a kid. And, um, you know, I always loved drawing, and I would I would draw superheroes all the time. And, and then... You know, as I got older, I kind of I, I kept drawing, but I sort of drifted away from from comics and stuff. Um, and then, you know, I got into like soccer because I'm the son of a Middle Eastern man. So it's like, you know, prerequisite. <laughs> and uh, and I I got into breakdancing in high school. And so that became like my entire life from the age of like 15 on. Now, uh, now when you say that, and I'm, and, and, and I say this because when I was in about second or third grade and I want you, I'm talking about a white kid from Maine. I get very into the idea of breakdancing and rap music at the time, but you're talking right. several years later than that. So it was almost like a retro thing at that point. Really? Yeah. I mean, there was still, Cause a, I, a, like, cause I remember being like eight and seeing commercials for the beat street movie and going, I like something to do with that. And I don't know right. why, <laughs> You know, like, but I brought cardboard to school in third grade, which is weird. I mean, it was it was huge for uh, you know, like in the mid late eighties, right? It was just mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, I I picked up on it because so I I grew up in a single parent household, very poor, and uh, my old middle school. You know, at the time I was a sophomore in high school when I when I d sort of discovered it. I'd kind of been aware of it. You know, I, I yeah. knew some older kids who did a little bit of it, but did they just kind of do like an arm wave thing, you know, kind of mm -hmm. make that like pulse go through their body. And I, and I kind of taught myself how to do it from watching them. So I'd bust that out at like the middle school socials and stuff like that. But that was the extent of it. And then <laughs> when I was 15, uh, it was a Friday night and, and my old middle school had a thing called night court, which was like a, a boys and girls club sponsored basketball thing. You just go and shoot around. You could win, you know, trailblazers, nosebleed tickets, stuff like mm -hmm. that. And one of the guys who worked there was, he's about the age I am now, mid thirties. And he was like an old school dude from New York. So he grew up in Spanish Harlem mm -hmm. during, you know, the, the hip hop like birth. And, and so he was a break dancer and a graffiti writer and, um, he just kind of, he was teaching some other kids, like some moves in the corner of the gym and he was teaching locking, which, you know, a lot of people conflate popping and locking as pop locking, but they're two separate things. And locking is a very kind of like, it's almost goofy looking. Right. And so I saw this, you know, to me, this middle-aged guy <laughs> doing <laughs> locking in the corner. I thought I'll humor this guy. I like to dance. And then he started doing like some popping and like arm waves and stuff. And it just blew my mind. It's like, it's like watching a magic trick, you know, and he was willing to teach. So I was just like, oh my God, show me that. Right. And so I just started going every Friday and he was there um, and he would just teach me. And eventually, you know, he's like a father to me now. I mean, we're, we're really? still close. And That's yeah, awesome. he, yeah, he's like my real life, Mr. Miyagi. It was like such a cool <laughs> thing to happen. <laughs> so, so was there like a, like a subculture of like, oh, yeah. more, I mean, like it, a bunch of people. Yeah. It's a lot like skating, you know, like right. it's, it's never died. Yes. Right. And there's, you know, you used to, before the days of YouTube and stuff, you could go to like zoomies or Mr. Rags, you know, alternative clothing stores and you could find like VHS tapes of like international breakdance competitions and stuff like that. So, 
Um, yeah, you know, Portland didn't had a really thriving breakdance scene, but specifically the kind of stuff I did, like Poppin' and the Robot, which fit under the umbrella term of funk styles. That I, wasn't a thing. I'm, I'm learning things I never, and, I, and I, I don't mean this to sound condescending. I'm genuinely, I'm like, really? I'm, no, I'm sitting here fascinated. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, so, you know, I, there was a, there was a thriving online culture that, you know, that was back in the message board days. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was on there and then, you know, you, you, people would swap clips as, as sharing video became a real thing you could do on the internet. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then, you know, like, a, uh, the summer after I graduated high school, my best friends and I went down to LA for this thing called the B-Boy Summit, which is like the San Diego Comic-Con of breakdancing, basically. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, there's there's always competitions everywhere. And here in Portland, my, you know, just a small group of us really sort of pioneered like the the funk styles and poppin' scene. Um, so yeah, you know, it was a real thing for a while. I mean, I was, I was teaching classes at different dance studios and running workshops and winning competitions and stuff, but you know, much like comics, it's one of those things where it's like, it takes a lot out of you and it's really hard to make a living at. And as I got into comics in my, you know, late teens or twenties, it kind of became a thing where I was like, all right, I got to put all of my eggs in one of these bags. (laughs) I've I've got to think. That there's there's some connection between you you thinking I can make a go at comics because it seems so much more realistic right. than than the even more niche uh, and unrealistic breakdancing career. Yeah, so, I mean, shit. If that's the comparison, right? That like, set you up for it, really. Whereas other yeah. people have been like, oh, "That's too risky." You'd be like, "You want to know risky?" Right. <laughs> yeah, and you know, with the, with comics, like I. The thing that got me back into him was Smallville. That had come on the air. I was in high school, you know, toward the end of high school. And I was like, oh, yeah, I always loved Superman growing up. So, you know, I, I got into the show. And and then I somebody gave me a book that was like the complete history of Superman. And it had Alex Ross paintings in it that like sort of, you know, redid these old like Siegel and Schuster era images of Superman, right? That he put his Alex Ross realism spin on it. And I was just absolutely floored by that because I was always more into like a, a more realistic aesthetic. Like I was never drawn to comic book art necessarily as a kid. It was more about the characters. Um, and so to see that, I was like, holy shit, you can do that? Like <laughs> it never occurred to me. And so then that led me down the rabbit hole of, you know, uh, finding his work and then, you know, those oversized like Paul Dini books that he did and uh-huh, then obviously yeah. Kingdom Come and, you know, then then I found more writers and artists that I liked and it was just, you know. So it's really, you really were, were pretty late on the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't start going to comic shops like regularly of my own, you know, on my own accord as, as you know, an adult with money until mm-hmm. I was probably 19 or 20 maybe. Mm-hmm. So how soon after that were you, I mean, were you, were you kid, did you draw a lot? Were you an, you know, artistic kid? Yeah, I, I was always drawing through that whole time. Um, you know, and I always just drew stuff I liked. So for a long time I was only drawing Mortal Kombat stuff or I was only drawing like soccer players or <laughs> break dancers or, you know, and I got in, into graffiti for a bit, which I was never very good at because it requires you to think much more abstractly. And that's just kind of not really how my brain works, but Um, so yeah, you know, when I discovered, uh, Alex Ross and then, you know, thereby like comic book art again, it was kind of like, oh, well I like to draw already. So let me figure out how to draw this stuff. Um, 
you know, and so I was just like, well, I'll, I'll just do what he does. And I learned what kind of paint he was using. And, you know, I started watercoloring and stuff and, um, and then really classes, you know, like like in school or. Yeah. I was always like the kid who could draw in class. Right. Yeah. And then I would take, you know, the art classes that they offered at school just as kind of like the, you know, everyone does it as like the bullshit elective or whatever. And then <laughs> in community college, I, I, I started to focus on it more and I took watercolor classes. And that was kind of how I really started, you know, to like learn how, how to work with wet mediums and, you know, take it more seriously. Um, and then from there, it was honestly just like kind of the, you know, drawing stuff I liked youtube university sort of path to it and that's about when i discovered podcasts um i think i want to say i there was an issue of like how to break into comics the marvel way which is a thing they've only done a couple times and bendis had written a story and some new artist drew it and he said i found this guy through iFanboy or something like that. And so really? I just was like, yeah, so I was like, okay, well, Google, what is iFanboy, right? <laughs> and then, you know, I found the podcast and, uh, and man, I got to tell you, you know, the video shows you guys did were like my crash course in comics. Like, I don't know if you've really talked to many people who are sort of here in the industry, like because of what you guys did, but like, you know, huh. the proof is is in the pudding, my friend. <laughs> I mean, it I really... feel like, you know, like we were there with a lot of people were coming up, but I don't think anybody's ever told us that. Although I thought, you know, that makes sense. I guess I'm guessing most of them just didn't make it <laughs> the way that you, you know, did. I mean, I, I dude, I just, uh, I've, I've always had kind of a militant, like, uh, you know, drive toward like, well, militant is probably not the right word, but like, a you know, uh, when I fixate on something like that's mm-hmm. what I do, you know? Yeah. And so, um, I, I, you know, through watching those video shows, I just learned about like the backlog of stuff. I didn't know anything about it. I learned about different genres, you know, and at the time I had also like, before that I had discovered criminal cause I was reading yeah. Brubaker's daredevil and I said, Oh, this guy, you know, I like his stuff. Let me see what this is. And so then I found out about crime comics and then, you know, through the show it was like, Oh, here's a, here's a deep dive into the genre and stuff. So yeah, man, I would just, you know, while I was working on samples and just, you know, drawing my own comics and whatever, like I would just mainline those videos, you know. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really nice. I feel, I feel good about that. It's funny, though, because when you, you say that, like, I think back to, like, what I knew or understood about comics at that point. And, like, I had an idea of sort of how things worked in history, but, like, in terms of the art form, I feel like we were teaching ourselves at that time, too. Sure. You know, like, we we're trying yeah. to figure out how to talk about these things and what it was to, to notice that was important through this. So like, I kind of, th- I, I look back at something like I kind of cringe cause I didn't know what I was talking about. We learned how we were talking about because of it. Although 10 years from now I might look back, you know, and be like, you didn't know comics at all when you were 44. Which <laughs> right. be ridiculous. But um, well, and, I mean, you guys were really the only ones doing it. So it's like, there, <laughs> there kind of was no wrong way. Right. It was just what you were doing. Yeah. Well, that's our, that's our curse was to be just ahead enough of it so that we would miss uh like when youtubers became a thing and you right. could have a job from that or like <laughs> yeah. at some point a, a friend of ours uh who's who's a like a big exec in uh, one of the companies was like you know if you'd done this 10 year 10 years early you'd all have porsches and we're like yeah we know like if the boom like if there were podcasts during their in- initial boom like we'd have been all set but we were you yeah. know eight years after that. <laughs> it's, it's fine it's just the timing right. um actually i'm i'm uh 
I'm really proud of that stuff, though, because I think we've heard a lot of that. It's interesting because, you know, you said at the X-Men cartoon and then for people my age, it was um, Batman movie, you know, or or like, right. you know, the, the 88, 89 stuff was like Death in the Family and the Batman movie that was like you have like joker was everywhere there was joker and the batman stuff everywhere and like that was us and then i think when people came along later a lot of the people who are closer to your age you know uh when the video show was first coming out you know animated x-men people were a lot of it you know and this would be the first time that they could see anything like this and i think that 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 was attractive to people uh yeah which is and it, we we like yeah it, it it's kind of cool I'm, I'm really proud of that stuff that we did you know and, and that now it, like there was there wasn't other stuff around then like that. So we didn't get lost. If you did it now, you'd get lost. And I think that that's, that was the only good part about the timing. I think, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like you said, there's so much of it now, right? Yeah. Like how would you even find like the one thing that, that does all of what you guys did. Right. I feel like it's, it's so uh, spread out now that like, I mean, it was real. Like I said, it was it was a crash course. Like it was kind of like you know YouTube University in a lot of ways. Yeah, for us too. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't think we were even on YouTube at the time, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you know, people ask us. They'll be like, well, "What do I do if I start a podcast?" And I was like, "Get a time machine." Like, you know, I, I don't know that we're necessarily any better at it than anybody. You know, at least I mean, probably now after all this time. But at the time, it's just that there wasn't that much else around, so it let us get better at it because there wasn't any competition even for like attention. Right. So, which I think is one of the problems that comics has in general right now is there's too much competition for attention. Absolutely. So many things. So, uh, to get, to get back on where we were. So you get interested in it. You start, you know, you start noticing the art and working on it. You're, you're, you know, you're taking classes. Like what's the, what's the bit where you were like, I, I think this is what I, I want to do. I want to draw comics. Yeah. Um, you know, I was doing the thing where I was finding like, Oh, Marvel put out the, uh, an issue that has like just Bendis's script in it or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to find that stuff. And then, you know, at the time that stuff was difficult to track down. I found like an Astro city script, mm-hmm. uh, that was, you know, printed in the back of a trade or something. So I was trying to do samples based on that and, uh, you know, just trying to get better. And, um, I, I started to learn that there were like two ways to break in. Um, you know, you could either go to conventions and, you know, show your work to editors or you could just kind of make a book and, and break in that way. Right. And I had tried the first way and I was not good. Right. And then, yeah, <laughs> like, I, yep. I mean, yeah, we never are when we think we were right. And, and even back then, like I knew I wasn't there yet, but like, all it takes is for you to see one comic that you think you could draw better than that comic, you know, the art in that book. And you go, oh, well, if they could do it, I could do it. But, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know yet. And you don't know sure. that, do- that it doesn't work that way. So, you know, I was getting some good feedback, um, but it was like I wasn't ready yet. And <laughs> and that was kind of the, you know, and actually one of Did the Did you best- know that at the time or do you know that now? I know that now. I don't think I knew it at the time, but but the the thing that told me it at the time was uh, a review I got from Bob Shrek, who uh, wonderful guy, and you know we're friends to this day. And he, oh great, yeah. And at the time, you know, I didn't know him. He didn't know me, but he, uh, I was aware of him because Diana Schutz taught a class at my community college, like on comics. Oh wow, yeah. Jeez. And so yeah, I mean, you know, and that's that was kind of one of the first 
like benefits of being in Portland that I was able to reap. Right. Oh, and uh, right. He was a dark horse at the time. Yeah. And they, okay. they were married at the time or no, they were divorced, but oh. you know, she, right. she brought him in as a guest speaker and like she brought in Matt Wagner, who's her brother-in-law, you know? And, um, and so, uh, the class was like a, it was a literary class and I failed it miserably because she had a very specific idea of what she wanted. And I thought it was, uh, not that. So anyway, I learned a lot in it though. Um, and you know, it's she gotta be just, really good for your ego to fail a community college comic book course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like how many other people took that as a lark and you were really cared about it and it didn't work out. That's yeah. I mean, it did work out, I guess, but go ahead. Well, you know, eventually I had a book come out through Dark Horse and it was kind of like, oh, I guess I'm not failing now, am I, Portland Community College, you know? But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, at the time, like, it, you know, it was just a cool thing to, like, have, you know, uh, you know, Matt Wagner, who wrote and drew Trinity, which I loved, right, and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And and so, I, you know, I, at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, uh, they they would do these, like, you know, this table has editors, you know, and so-and-so will be there from two to four and whatever. And so I, you know, I did every single one of those and Bob Shrek was one of them. And I had, I had written and drawn and self-published this, uh, like first issue of this thing that was definitely going to be an ongoing that I was going to do, of course. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, I wrote, drew, colored it, um, Ed Brisson lettered it, you know, that was back Mm -hmm. when he was like a freelance letterer. And, um, you know, I met him through Pencil Jack or Digital Webbing, one of those two, right. which, you know, again, message board days. And uh, and I was so proud of this thing. And, you know, honestly, like, it doesn't look terrible looking back on it, but it's not great. <laughs> and and I had done everything with, with Micron pens and very clean and, you know, rulers and stuff. And there was a page that had a barn in it. And, and Bob Shrek said, look, you can draw, right? But he's like there's something missing. And he goes, look at this barn. He goes, I, it's, I know it's a barn. It's a very well-drawn barn, but I'm not going to step in any horse shit in this barn. You know what I mean? He's like, it's too pristine. You got to, wow. what are you inking with? And I said, you know, microns. And he said, no, nah, man, you got to get a brush, get in there and, you know, just let the brush put knots in the wood and make it look gnarled. And, you know, and then he said, where do you live? I said, Portland. He said, perfect. He goes, go look up Steve Lieber Tell him Bob Shrek sent you. Tell him Bob Shrek will kick his ass if you don't, you know, let him watch you, you know, if he doesn't let you watch him ink for a day. He's, you know, you buy him lunch, whatever, and, and, uh, you know, learn some stuff from him and and just keep at it. And I was like, all right, thanks, man. You know, and I had my mission. And then I was like, well, I'm at a con and Steve Lieber's right over there. And I was, I knew who he was already. So I said, let me just go talk to him. So, you know, Steve was kind enough to, to, you know, take a good 20 minutes and go over my work and, you know, show me examples with a brush and stuff like that. And then he sent me to another artist who showed me some cool stuff. And so, you know, that was kind of the moment where I was like, okay, no, I'm not there, but now I feel like I have the tools to get there. That's Um, amazing. I mean, just, I mean, A, that like sort of the people were all in perps and this didn't necessarily happen on the internet and... I mean, I think obviously you see where it helps that you're in Portland at this point, but I mean, I mean, Shrek, I think I had him on once a long time ago and it was for some innocuous reason. Like he, it was a, like the, the, like, here's what's coming out this week kind of thing. And he was talking about a Jurassic Park book he worked on, which is kind of 
the saddest thing on that. Yeah, yeah, but I remember that. <laughs> it's it's not sad. I just mean I mean like he's he's such a legend that I should have you know we should have been talking about anything else, right. and and you realize that he's the guy who's responsible for Frank Miller, you know, like and just right. all, you know all these all these geniuses that he brought in, Brubaker, you know, um, wow. And then he told you to go over to Steve Lieber, who's you know, you couldn't have even known how great Steve Lieber was then because I don't think I I'm still trying to understand like oh he's he's amazing. Like yeah. he's yeah, and just effortless, and a super nice guy. So and he's the best guy. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, that's great. Yeah, and yeah, it was it was cool, man. And it really, you know, from there I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this right. And I got the Klaus Jansen book on, you know, DC's Guide to Inking, and you know, I already had the the coloring one because I had to teach myself how to color that, you know, uh, certainly an ongoing book that I was gonna do. <laughs> You're totally gonna finish it. It's just sixty issues. Who cares? Yeah, it literally. <laughs> I mean, it was gonna be my you know, scalped. It was going to be my walking dead. Like I had, I was, I had a note, but I had 14 issues planned so far, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I just kept trying to get better at it. And, uh, you know, I, I, at the time I was really sold on like the binary idea of like, there's a writer and an artist, you know? And it was such a heyday for, I mean, that was when it was like the Marvel architects and Mm -hmm. none of them were artists, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I just had it in my head, like, uh, I'm not a writer person. And so I have to find people to work with. And that was, you know, part of my big search. And that was when I hit you up because I, you know, I had listened to so many hours of you talking about comics. And, you know, then I found that you had like your website with your work. And I remember very specifically reading like an Arrested Development spec script that you did and like no laughing shit. out loud at the time. <laughs> I read it. And I was like, this guy fucking gets it. <laughs> so, so I was like, let me hit him up. We'll see if he's interested, you know? And, and, uh, yeah. So it was just like a lot of, you know, putting samples together, putting pitches together and stuff like and that. And we did a pitch. We did an official did. pitch. It went to image where my best friend worked and it didn't matter. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if that was before that, but, um, that's kind of how that went. It was, it was okay. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, unless you know, I I think that was before he went there. Cause um, yeah, it was, unless you know that you have to know someone there, you think that you will just be the person who magically gets to submit something and they're going to, they're going to go, I get this kid a book, you know? Now, now I know a lot more about how that works and worked at the the time. Yeah. The reality is that people who are doing books there half the time don't even know if the book is happening because they're like, am I going to get the email back? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's totally the case. I do remember that the the first page, I want to say it was the first page of that thing, had this cool little inset thing that you did that was like looking through a um, like a scope of a gun. Oh, yeah. And I always I always love that page. I thought it was beautiful. And then I left panel stacked on the next page. Oh, you did. You I'll son of a bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't remember that. If that helps. Well, good. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And so, you know, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. And um, that was when I was on the path of like, okay, I need to just make a book because, mm-hmm. you know, they're always going to tell you what they don't want to see. But if you come to them with something that is complete, they kind of, you know, they can either say yes or no to it, but like they can't deny that you have done something and you're essentially giving them a resume saying, this is what my work looks like. And, you know, I saw people, you know, I think, I think Chris Somney was probably the prime example of that at the time where it's like, he didn't have a conventional style, right. But he, he put out work 
And, you know, I think Capote in Kansas, right, was like one of his first things. Yeah. And and he started, you know, and then there was the comic twart thing that they were all doing. And it was like, you know, you're showing up and saying, here's what I do. Hire me rather Mm -hmm. than like, please, sir, may I have a job? Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) So um, that was the route I was I was taking. And um, I, I ended up doing actually your your buddy Charles. i was was gonna say yeah Yeah. they 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 asked like hey can we hire him and i was like i mean i'm not paying him so i couldn't say no (laughs) well i remember at the time too what what you and i were doing was on hold because we were kind of like okay we'll wait and see if we get anything and then i think that was also when your firstborn was coming and you had moved from new york right so it was like yeah tons of life stuff happening. And, yeah. and so, you know, you were like, yeah, man, if you want to do it, like, you know, please, you that was, yeah. by the way, that was the right call for you. Well, it, it was, I mean, you know, the book, I mean, I don't even know if people know that I did it and it's not something that I like, you know, actively, yeah. uh, promote. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what it did was make me, uh, you know, 120 some pages better. And, give me a, a IDW credit to my name, which is like, okay, now people take it a little more seriously because I've been published. Right. Yeah. And around that same time I had joined a studio in Portland. I met, uh, you know, that, that is one of the main benefits, uh, to being here is that there's usually some kind of signing event happening, right? Cause there's so many people here and we have a lot of comic shops and I met Brandon Seifert at some things from another world signing event and we hit it off and he said, Hey, uh, you know, I, I'm part of this studio downtown of comic people and you know, we need a new member cause somebody's moving out. Um, so if you want to come by and take a look at it and see if, you know, you think it'd be a good fit. So I go in and I, you know, seem to get along with everybody. And, and so I was like, all right, cool. And you know, Joe Keating was a member at the time and a few other people, it was small. It was maybe like six members. Um, and so I did the bulk of that book there. And then, uh, you know, Joe at the time was like, you know, up and coming and, and he knew a lot of people from, from being in the industry on the, on the, you know, back end of things for a while. And so I said to him, Hey man, I'm, you know, I want to, I want to find a project with somebody. Um, you know, if you know anyone who's looking for an artist and he said, all right, like what kind of stuff do you want to do? I said, I really want to do a crime book. And he was like, all right, cool. And, you know, Luckily, he saw my work ethic, so he felt good about recommending me to somebody. And about two weeks later, he brought Chris Sabella by the studio, and he said, you guys should talk. And Chris said, hey, I have this book that's been greenlit at Monkey Brain. It's this new digital first publisher. There's no money. Here's the book. Do you want to do it with me? And I was like, yes, (laughs) because it was such a cool pitch. Uh, And that was the book High Crimes that he and I did together. And that book is the one that I basically drew like at the hotel. And I was like, <laughs> I, you know, so I was doing that thing where I was getting up early and drawing all day. And, and then I luckily being the room service person, I was kind of like, nobody really knew there was only one of me at any given time. You know, it was like a one person department. So like nobody really knew where I was. I had a walkie talkie if I needed to be reached and I could just kind of be anywhere in the building at any time. So I would spend most of my time in like the little room service office if it wasn't busy, just inking pages or whatever. So did you have to bring like all your like stuff? I mean, were you working on like 11 by 17 with like a bottle of ink? Pretty much. Yeah. Wow. I found a pack that would fit pages without screwing them up. And, you know, like <laughs> I was, you know, everything I did in my life was geared toward like 
maximizing productivity as much as possible, right? Um, it's an incredibly so, mature like approach to it that you took. I mean, like you know, very I, yeah, forward thinking, I guess. The, I think the thing was like I just I was climbing without a rope. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have you know parental support. I you know I had a I had a long term girlfriend at the time who did not give a shit about what I was doing and and was you know not supportive of it at all. So I was like, you know, the band's going to make it. I'll show you kind of thing. And, you know. and there wasn't like a backup plan. I mean, I guess you were going to community college. So you didn't like also have a degree in, you know, whatever. This was like the thing you were doing. Yeah. Like I had gotten my associate's degree and my, my, my plan prior to comics was like, I'm going to be an art teacher because I had good teachers growing up that, you know, were important to me. And it was kind of the only thing, I mean, you know, I didn't really have like, again, you know, growing up poor, it's just kind of like, you don't feel like you have a lot of options. You know what I mean? I, I didn't, you don't even know what the options are. No, like I didn't even know you could get scholarships for like dumb shit in college. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, like I'm half middle Eastern. I'm, you know, like I, I probably could have got something for that or who knows. Right. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, there's stuff for everything and, and you know, there's grants you can apply for and things like that. And it's, you know, I was able to get financial aid for school, but um, you know, that was pretty much all I knew and work always had to come first. Cause I, you know, I had to pay rent and stuff right. like that. So I would take time off from school. I'd go back into it. And, and so I went to transfer to Portland state and I found out like what most colleges do, I guess, which is like, you have to take basically a year's worth of classes that don't pertain to your major at all, mm-hmm. you know, cause they want you to be like, quote unquote, well-rounded, you know, as you're paying them exorbitant amounts of money. And I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so, so I said, you know what, I'm just going to take a year off from school and I'm just going to work and, and draw pages. And, and you got an was, Eisner nomination. Well, that eventually came. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I had enrolled in a graphic design program at that same community college because, you know, again, I was in that relationship and it was kind of like, Hey, you know, you've been, you're nine months into this year off and comics haven't happened yet. And, you know, I want the picket fence and the kids. So like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, you know, she's right. Like, I need to be an adult, you know. And <laughs> and so I had, you know, I did everything soup to nuts aside from lettering in that that self-published thing I did. And as I was designing the logo for it in Photoshop, which I had taught myself, I was like, you know, I think graphic design could be fun. So mm-hmm. I was like, she's right. You know, let me look up the program at the school. So I did that. and And then, like... I think it was right after I enrolled in that program, I got that IDW, you know, indie book that, mm-hmm. that I just mentioned. So it was like dog, something yeah. about a dog catcher. Yeah. It was like a, it was like a supernatural, like, um, there were dog catchers, but it was werewolves and right. You know, okay. Were, yeah. Yeah. And then the, I drew the second volume, so they'd already right. done one of them. And the second one featured proof, which I had learned about from your show. And I was like, well, this is the real deal, you know? <laughs> so I'm in now. Yeah. So, you know, that proceeded just like a, a miserable couple of years where I was like going to school and working and drawing comics and I just hated like life. I mean, I was just, I was like no bandwidth spread way too thin, oh. but I, you know, had this pressure of like, I need to make it for, you know, my girlfriend and, you know, cause we're going to have a life together and blah, blah, blah. 
And then when that book came out, you know, I was fortunate enough to have like, you know, a good local community behind me and stuff. And so, you know, things from another world did this really great, like release party for the first issue. And, and I remember she said to me, is that something I need to go to? And I was just like, okay, I don't think that <laughs> I don't think we're on the same page here. So, uh, you know, that kind of precipitated like the very serious discussion of like, I've been miserable for like a year now. And I've been pleading with you to like, help me find some kind of a common ground here, you know, cause she had a, she was a, uh, a medical professional to some degree. So she had like a very well paying job and I was still, you know, delivering room service and going to school and there was no, like, we're in this togetherness with her. It was like, there's yours and mine and yours has to align with mine. And I just realized like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. And like, this person doesn't support what I'm doing. And so you know, I just had a very frank discussion with her where I was like, look, I'm, I'll do this till I'm in my forties. I'll live in a one room apartment with a mattress and a drafting table. If that's what it takes, like, this is what I'm doing. And she was just not down with that program. So I was like, all right, this, you know, this is where we part ways. And fortunately high crimes became a thing. And, um, you know, we were doing it for no money, but it was coming out digitally through comiXology and very shortly after the first couple issues came out, you know, luckily, like we got two Eisner nominations for it and Dark Horse, you know, gave us an offer to uh, publish it in a hardcover. And so I felt like, OK, I'm not making money from this yet, but like my foot is firmly in the door. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the the beginning of like, all right, I'm doing this. So I'm sorry, I'm going to go back without yeah. details on the thing. So the the monkey brain thing was just for exposure it was like like but comiXology wasn't paying for it so so the way it worked was we i don't think it exists anymore so i can ask these questions right yeah no and you know it was it was chris robertson and allison uh baker who were you know spearheading it and they were wonderful like so great yeah. to work with and you know essentially what it was is you know they gave us this platform and the only rights they retained were the digital rights. So, you know, we, we retained any kind of ownership and media and stuff like that. We could print it anywhere. It just couldn't be digital as well. Cause it was, that was exclusive to right. monkey. Um, and then we got back end off the sales. Right. Um, so we were, we did start to make money as it was coming out, but mm -hmm. it certainly wasn't, you know, enough to live on or even offset any of the, <laughs> the costs of making the thing. Um, but you know, with that came, you know, a real shot at like, okay, we're, we're, people are taking us seriously now. And, you know, I mean, the Eisner nominations helped a ton Yeah, as far as that went. And, you Did know, you have, was there any push for you guys? Like, like, were you guys pushing to be nominated or was it like a big surprise? It was a huge surprise. Okay. I, I believe Allison submitted us for it and, and we were nominated for uh, best digital comic and best new series. And, you know, digital is one where you're like, all right, that's cool. But like new series, we were up against yeah. like sex criminals that year, you know? <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, that was pretty rad. And, you know, since we got the Dark Horse publishing deal, um, you know, it, it felt like things were happening. And then Chris actually started to get a lot of work after that. And that was really difficult for me. I mean, obviously, I was super happy for him. You know, he's a dear friend. But I was, I still had to draw this damn thing for no money. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, 
you know, <laughs> it took us three years to, to do that book, you know, and it was, I think like 140 pages or something like that. Um, you know, and I drew it through like five different living situations and, you know, like two different, two or three different relationships. And like, were you, were you drawing that? I mean, were you just drawing it like a traditional comic book? You weren't thinking about like necessarily like how comicsology cuts it up or anything? No, we, yeah, we, we did it totally just like our, our end game was print. Right. Okay. And, yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, from there I started to get work once that was done and that was kind of how I officially broke in and started to get, you know, like random fill in stuff at DC and, right. um, stuff like that. So that's, that's a lot of, like, how much time are we talking about then from, from, I guess when you said, Hey, this is kind of a cool thing to when you start getting like actual paid work in mainstream comics. Let's see. I started in like, I think 2007 was like, I'm doing this and I had done, Oh, you know, I forgot. I did a couple of like, you know, one-off independent issues with some guys I met on pencil Jack that they printed and did a Kickstarter and all right. that stuff. And it's, I found them recently and they're just dog shit. I mean, but you know, <laughs> my part of it, I'm not speaking for anybody else, but, <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, between all that stuff around 2007 and then I started to get like paid work in like 2014, and my first thought is, and I know that that's a long time for you, go, that's not that bad. That's yeah, what I just I thought. Mean, in, in comics years, right? That's yeah. like, it's not terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and now you have a high stress job that you never know when you'll be going to work the next day. So it's fine. Yep. Um, so, so, and that, but so that's, 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 everybody's got their comic story like that. And I, I and I think, um, you know, I, I you can see, the grit and determination, everything that makes, you know, everybody's path is different, but they all include those same things. But what I think has been really interesting is if I look at, uh, by the way, uh, your webpage uh, that has your work on it is delightful and clear. Uh, oh, it's thank just, you. Uh, I try. <laughs> I know. Mustafa.com slash comics. And there are all of your comic books all in one place. And I, I've got to tell you, for, for my job, uh, that is the best way to do it. And so anyway, as I'm looking at that, though, I am thinking you know, what has happened between that point and now is pretty goddamn remarkable in that, you know, you, at some point you, you have become a storyteller, not just an artist, you know, you've worked on a lot of sort of varied and interesting projects. You did some mainstream stuff, we meaning, you know, DC Marvel, but Mm. you know, the, the genre wise, you're kind of all over the place in a good way. You know, and and now you know you've got this graphic novel series uh, from Humanoids, and and we can get to that and talk about it. But like, how do you did you want this to be your route? Did it work out this way? If you gotten very lucky, or did you say this is what I want to do and have to go towards it? Because uh, that's not usual. Yeah, it was definitely the latter, um, and you know, it's it's difficult because you a lot of it, you're sort of left to the whims of like what kind of work you're offered. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, where the wind blows you. And I scalped is my favorite comic series of all time. Excellent. And yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's so good. And like, it's, I always, I think my biggest takeaway from that book is that to me, I go, that book fucking matters. Like, 
and I, I've never wanted to do stuff that like doesn't matter to a degree. I, I don't, I don't mean to sound like pejorative about anything, but like, you know, it's comics. Like there's a lot of stuff out there and not all of it is like consequential, right. Or doesn't necessarily stand on its own or age well, or, you know, matter in a couple of years or whatever. And so I think I've just always kind of gravitated towards stuff like that. That's a little more, you know, like less flashy superhero type of thing. And a little more like, this is a volume on a shelf, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, not that I don't love that stuff and enjoy doing it, but, um, that kind of stuff also feels a little bit more like you have to dance for your dinner. And I don't enjoy that aspect of, of comics. Like, um, you know, and, and I found myself the, the, the work that I was getting like big two wise, a lot of it started to be like, Oh, we need to fill in. And because I was Mm -hmm. fast and reliable, like I was worried about becoming that guy. Right. But also like, you got to take what comes your way. Like, cause you don't always know where the next one is coming from. Right. So, um, you know, I did some of that stuff and then fortunately I, you know, was offered some stuff at vertigo. Um, Jamie rich is a guy who I knew, uh, locally. And then he ended up moving to LA and getting a job at DC and he offered me, uh, you know, like a, like a straight up like vertigo book, which I was like, yes, like scalped is my shit. I'm doing a vertigo book, you know? So Justin Jordan and I, uh, with, with Jordan Boyd, who I met through you, um, did a a book called savage things that was like, kind of like, you know, what if, what if the government had a program where Jason Bournes were, or were, were Dexter's were kidnapped as kids and turned into Jason Bournes? <laughs> what could go wrong? Right. <laughs> and it was totally like my cup of tea. And it was this sort of like espionage crime thing with some horror elements mixed in. And, um, and so that was really cool to do. And then I got to do mother panic volume two, which was the Gotham AD thing, which, you know, I'd been reading that book as just like a reader. Cause I love the artists that were on it. And, um, so, you know, I got to do that kind of stuff. And then, uh, the opportunity came up from, uh, our editor on, from dark horse on high crimes who, you know, helped kind of usher the the book into, you know, it's hardcover form. He started working at another digital first thing that was like geared toward tablets and smartphones. And, uh, you know, he was like senior editor there and he approached me and was like, Hey man, you know, pitch me something for this new venture. And I was like, cool. So like find a writer to work with or he's like no man you're storytellers pitch me something and that was the first time i ever had that aside from the thing that i wrote and drew myself that i was like i'm gonna publish this that was the first like permission slip i got to like no man like do it but did you have like i mean had you had stories in mind things that you wanted to tell just on your own like i mean just because you know, it takes a while to sort of know what you're doing as a storyteller and you're in charge of the plot and the structure and the characters and things like that. Right. And I, I, I did have ideas Mm -hmm. and a lot of them were based around like, this would be cool stuff to draw or like, this Mm -hmm. would be a movie I want to watch or whatever. Right. Um, but I'm not, you know, I, I I listened recently to the the Kelly Thompson episode that you did, the one that made it. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, she was talking about how she isn't necessarily like the, 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 you know, big world ending idea person. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of feel the same way. And Me so, too. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think because of that, I sort of never cast myself in that light, 
but I did have these other kind of smaller stories I, that I had in mind. And so, um, you know, when I got that offer to pitch something that was like, all right, well, I better figure out how to fucking do this. Then. <laughs> so, because I've never been one of those guys who like, you know, oh yes, the three X structure or like, you know, I've never had characters speak to me. Right. So I just thought like, well, if that doesn't happen, maybe I'm not the guy to do this stuff. Right. Um, but I think I just have to work at it differently or harder or what, you know, approach it from a different angle maybe. Um, so I, I, you know, pitched the story that got greenlit. I wrote, drew and colored that. And then luckily I got nominated for like a best, I think digital comic or web comic Eisner for that one. And so that really allowed me to say like, you know, hey, I'm presenting myself as a writer artist. Is that is that Jaeger or is that yes? Okay. Yeah. Um, you have to you have to front sell your work. You know. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah. Jaeger is a, a basically a Nazi hunting spy story that I did. It's gorgeous. Uh, thank you. You know that was a uh, study Alex Toth and and uh, Darwin Cook's Parker novels. Uh-huh. I can see that. that I did. Yeah, I would really just because I, w- I was doing that sort of in between other projects. And like some days I would like, you know, draw a page of whatever I was hired to do at the time and then draw like a page or two of that. So, you know, I had to simplify my style to make it something that was, you know, and I wanted to do that experimentally, too, to mm-hmm. kind of like push myself to, you know, try new things and whatnot. But um, it's also that's just I got to say it's a fantastic cover. Like I just thank you. It's a gorgeous book. Uh, thank you, man. Yeah, front side. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to send you that. that right now, it's only you know. I have I have print copies. I can send you a PDF of it if you want to see the yeah. whole thing. Um, you know that that was another digital imprint that's like not around really anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I do have uh, hard copies on my website. Uh, Forty-eight page prestige format for anyone who's curious. <laughs> um, and, uh, and around the same time I was throwing my hat in the ring to do, um, James Bond stuff at dynamite. Cause I'm a huge James Bond fan. And luckily Jeff Parker, who was a good buddy of mine happened to be writing some of that stuff. And so I said, Jeff, well, let me draw it. And he was like, totally. And so, so, yeah, you did like, was it the back half of origin? Yeah. Initially I was going to launch it and then scheduling got weird and, then, you know, I, I had to step away and do other stuff and then they got Bob Q and I was like, God, how do I follow that guy? He's so good. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, but uh, because of that, the opportunity to do a James Bond, like sort of one shot holiday special came about and I had successfully professed my love and, and knowledge of the character to the editor, Nate Cosby. And so he really championed me like getting to pitch writing and drawing it. Um, and I had already pitched, uh, like an arc of the, the thing that Jeff and I did that we co-wrote together Mm -hmm. after that. So, you know, me writing stuff was on the table and because this was a one shot, I think it was kind of like they were willing to take a chance on it. Um, and so I got to write and draw, you know, a, a 30 page James Bond one shot, which was like a dream come true for me. You know, I try not to be the guy who's like, I'll take the low page rate for the thing I love, but you know, I did it. <laughs> so, I mean, we're talking about a thing where you're not sure if you're the, you got the chops to write at this point, you know, or like coming up with an original James Bond story to tell that takes some cojones. I mean, that's not, you know, that's, that's 
That's that would be would be intimidating for me. I would think. Like, did you have? Did you know what you wanted to do with it immediately? I didn't, and I and I. It was a really cool learning experience in that I don't always. I I think what I learned from that is I don't always know like what I'm going to do or what the story is until I'm prompted with like, Hey, figure out a thing for this. Right. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. Because I mean, I don't, I'm not the guy who's like, I have, I have the Batman story in me to tell. Like, I think if somebody said like, Hey, pitch us a Batman thing, I could probably figure out something cool, but I, I, you know, I haven't been like sitting on this thing my whole life or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but with Bond, like, I just know, I mean, you know, I've, I've gone through almost all the novels. Like I've, you know, I've seen every movie. I, I know the structure of like a Fleming Bond story well enough that I was just kind of like, all right, come up with your own thing and just plug it into the formula, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily that's what Bond fans like. So yeah, no, that works perfectly. That's what you should <laughs> <Yeah>. do. <laughs> Um, and so I think that helped, you know, be like a confident stepping stone for me in terms of like, okay, like, I think I've figured this out, you know? Um, and then with regards to the book I have coming out, um, you know, wait, 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 hold on. I want you to do that and that's fine. But I I do, I do have a bond question. Yes. How did you approach the look of your James Bond? Like, how did you decide what he was going to look like? Because that there's a lot of preconceived notions with that as a sort of character. I love this question, Josh. Because okay, it's a it's a important thing to me. <laughs> I love Timothy Dalton as Bond because for a lot of reasons, but mainly he looks the most like the way Fleming described Bond, right? Um, and and Fleming even had this like th- there's a there's a, a an old crooner I can't remember his name Hoagie and it's not Hoagie Carmichael, but maybe it was. Um, yeah, I think it was Hoagie Carmichael who he's like, this is what Bond looks like in his head. Right. Mm-hmm. So being aware of that and like the, the way he described the physical characteristics and, you know, kind of the, the Dalton influence, it all kind of went into a, a blender as far as that goes. But I, it was very important to me that it was the, you know, sort of my interpretation of the literary Bond. Okay. So the, you know, the comma of black hair over the right eye and the three inch scar on the cheek and the cold gray blue eyes and the cruel mouth. That's like <laughs> kind of all you have to go on with Fleming's description other than he'd rather look like Hoagie Carmichael. Right. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, was that, the, yeah, yeah, no, that, that works. I get it. Uh, I think Dalton. I'm trying to remember. I'm not I'm not an expert, but I know enough that one of the Dalton movies, I think the first one's really good and then the second one's yes. not. You know, I I have a soft spot for both of them and I it's not a nostalgia. Living thing, Daylights and and is licensed. License to kill. Yeah. Yeah. Living Daylights is great. Right. It's that's like, like a such like a great one. And no five. one expected it to be any good and whatever, but like it's a great one. And the second one's like Miami Drugs or something. Yes. Yes. However, it is much more faithful to the live and let die novel than the live and let die movie was in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like it for that. And also like, if you like eighties, you know, drug Lord crime movies, like <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> but I think because, you know, Roger Moore was like such an important bond because he was the only guy who could like follow Connery and outsell him at the box office at the same time. Uh, I mean, literally, you know, uh, never say never again came out like at the same time as a view to a kill, I think. And it was, or, um, yeah, view to a kill. And so 
you know, and, and, uh, more won out at the box office. So Roger Moore was such a beloved bond to so, you know, an entire mm-hmm. generation. And then, so when this serious guy, you know, this, this Shakespearean actor came on this, on the screen and was like really doing it, doing his own stunts and stuff. They were like, what is this? Bond's <laughs> supposed to run on alligators and, and wink at the camera, you know? Um, and I think now because of, you know, Daniel Craig kind of doing what Dalton did, there's a lot more like reverence yeah. for those movies and people go back to him now, but I'll that's my bond it out again. It's been a while. Hey, you know what? It, it, <laughs> that all that le- that leads to like, if someone was like, I don't know if I want to check out his bond book. Now I think somebody has a reason to it's hopefully yeah. years later and it <laughs> won't do you any good, but, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so, uh, those writing credits helped me. And also, you know, to be quite honest, like there are some very frustrating times when working for smaller publishers that do licensed stuff. Right. And I use those frustrating times as fuel to make my own pitch for this thing that I wanted to do, which is this book count that I have coming out. And so I would kind of chip away at that. And, um, I was actually, you know, getting ready to pitch it to Vertigo at the time, but obviously that isn't a thing anymore. <laughs> RIP Vertigo. Um, and, uh, you know, getting ready to go to a couple other publishers and I was approached by humanoids to draw a book at, that was part of this like shared universe thing they were launching. And I couldn't do it schedule wise, but I said, Hey, I do have this thing I want to do, you know, cause they're, they were doing original content as well. And so they said, yeah, send it our way. And I did, and um, he, this is what the really cool part of it. Mark Wade is now the publisher at Humanoids, but at the time he was like an editorial or creative consultant, mm-hmm. and he got his hands on the pitch and said, like, as he told me, like, you got to sign this yesterday, which was, you know, being that That's... Alex Fox and Kingdom Come and Mark Wade, yeah. and you know, that was like my foothold into the medium as I, I know uh, that you said you're not a three act structure person, but, um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's pretty good structure. <laughs> you know, a good point. I like that. Um, yeah. And so, you know, uh, they, they were a little coy about it at first. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's like a French thing or what, but they were, <laughs> were kind of like, maybe we'll, you know, and I, and I felt kind of insane that I was, so, so the book is called Count, and it's my sci-fi reimagining of the Count of Monte Cristo, right? And so here I was pitching a French sci-fi book to like the French sci-fi publisher, and I was like, "There's no fucking way they're gonna," you know. But luckily, they were into it, and here we are. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, Mark was um, promoted to publisher, and he liked my stuff and working with me enough that. He was kind enough to offer me a three book deal with humanoids, uh, you know, for original stuff. So after count, I've got two more that are, you know, different things, not, not sequels or anything. Um, so I've got some stuff locked in for a bit, which is cool. So that's, amazing. I, you know, thank you, man. Yeah. And to, to answer your earlier question, like that was kind of my goal is I, I want to do like original stuff that I write and draw, um, you know, and just like get paid a living wage to do it. So I mean, that's kind of the dream, really. Yeah, like yeah. Like, like that's what everybody should be going for. You know, in the way, and and not everybody gets there, and that's kind of that's kind of rad. <laughs> it's it's super awesome, man. And it, it, but it's funny, you know, it's a it's a double edged sword too, because like uh, 
because I haven't done like a big run on a big two thing, right? Like, um, I mean, you know, I did six issues of mother panic, but like, you know, that was a kind of a niche pop-up imprint thing. And so I don't, I haven't been able to build like the kind of readership that one hopes for off of stuff like that to kind of like fulfill the Kirkman manifesto to then take it to your independent stuff. Right. So, you know, that is probably hopefully still something that I can and should do at some point. I feel like Uh, if you're talking about a place like humanoids, they're not necessarily selling books based on like the name doing them, at least certainly not to an American audience who doesn't know a lot of their, you know, their creators anyway. It'll be kind of interesting. Right. Like, so what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is like, I'm, do, I'm assuming they don't expect you to bring a big audience to it in the same way. Cause it's not like they're not aware, you know, of the kind of stuff you've been working on here, which is kind of an opportunity, I guess. No, I think you're right. I think there's the part of me that goes, you know, like pragmatically they're a business and these things need to be economically viable. And so like, I better sell copies of this damn book. Right. <laughs> so to so keep, you know, uh, keep me around. And so, um, you know, with that comes the like, okay, well, you know, if I were to draw, you know, a bunch of issues of something that people buy just because of the, the masthead, that would probably be helpful, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause then you're hopefully capt- capturing two audiences, the people who care about what you're doing and the people who learn about what you're doing that's off to the side because of, you know, this more like in the spotlight thing that you did. So, you know, it's weird. You, I, I feel like there's kind of this cycle of like, I broke in, got to do some mainstream stuff. Now I'm doing, you know, higher tier independent stuff and I'll probably have to break into the mainstream again to some degree to do that stuff. If that's the, you're assuming there even is going to be a mainstream. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. I mean, that's who at this point, who knows all bets are off. You should probably stick with the French if you can. Yeah. Um, well, you know, they, they have a, they have a, over the last couple of years, they've, you know, they've, they've built this, uh, LA branch of their office, which is where a lot of their, you know, English stuff is coming out of, which is, you know, what my work is a part of. Um, so it's cool, you know, it's cool to be like on the early end of a thing like that. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're such a great like prestige publisher. So I just feel honored to like be able to do stuff with them. And, you know, Mark Wade is a, he's on my, my creative Mount Rushmore. Right. So, um, you know, getting able being able to, uh, you know, collaborate with him in any capacity is super cool and, you know, learn from him, from his notes on scripts and things like that. So, yeah, I'm just trying to soak it all up, man. You know, you know. So what's the what's what's the deal with 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 Count? I mean, like I know that it's it's the Count of Monte Cristo, which is something I haven't read and I I haven't seen the the movies. Like, is this is a story that you you really familiar with and you love and and you had this this idea? Sort of. I love revenge stuff, like as a genre, right? Okay. Yep. And uh, like I just I don't know something about people getting their like do come up and it just like. I love it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, which in my book Jaeger is a revenge story of this guy who was, you know, like held in Nazi prison camps and now he's out hunting down Nazis. And, and, uh, and so I had done that and I was, you know, thinking about like cool revenge stuff. And around that time, John Wick came out and, and I was like, what is like the granddaddy of all revenge stuff? It's gotta be Count of Monte Cristo. Right. And at the time I hadn't read it. Um, uh, but I had, you know, I'd seen the 2002 right. movie and, um, and so I found an audio version to, to listen to while I was drawing and turns out it's 
pretty long and uh, <laughs> it's pretty dry. <laughs> like there's not, you know, it was written by Alexander Dumas and I think he was paid either by the line or the word. I can't remember which, but, and you know, it shows like the thing is like something like 1200 pages. And How long was the audiobook? Hours. And it was like not an official one. I found a guy who just like read it out of the oh, goodness of his heart. Jesus. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, so you got no, you got to pay for that. You can't be going with amateurs on that. Yeah, I mean, he was great. I wish I could oh, remember awesome. his name to plug his site or something, but I don't know if he still does it. But, um, uh, yeah, and and so I just thought, like, I mean, you know, because Dumas wrote it and he also wrote the Three Musketeers, I think people assume that Count of Monte Cristo is very swashbuckling, but it's not. Like, it's very, it's like a soap opera, you know. Um, and so I just kind of thought, like, damn, what if this was like an action packed thing. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and then I thought, you know, that, you know, 17, 1800s France, like Napoleonic France is not the most appealing time to like a, a broad swath of people. So I thought, what if it was like a cool, like otherworldly sci-fi thing? And that mm-hmm. kind of was the germ of the idea. And then from there, I just kept thinking about it as I was working on other stuff and starting to put that pitch together and, you know, did a bunch of world building and, and, uh, yeah, that kind of led me to this thing where I was like, okay, so I'll take the, the sort of broad strokes of this, you know, literary classic and then inject my own sensibilities and, and storytelling stuff into it. And so I essentially made it a, you know, it's a 120 page OGN that's like, you know, kind of like a movie in the sense that, you know, like I, I love that experience of sitting down and reading a graphic novel cover to cover and feeling like I just had a meal, you know, similar yeah. to like sitting down and watching a two hour movie. So I really wanted to convey that sort of feeling within this book. And so, you know, there's, there's like, uh, you know, hovering vehicles and stuff. There's, <laughs> there's cool androids. There's, um, you know, tons of sword fights and action, but it's really like, I, 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 took it and and made it a story about revenge and retribution, but also, um, you know, kind of like revolution. And, uh, it's much more of like a, you know, sort of a societal, like, you know, these people are trying to fight for a change in their world. And the main character has to decide if his revenge is more important or like the greater good, Mm -hmm. the greater good. Sorry. I can't yes. hear that phrase without repeating it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It's just it's impossible. <laughs> no, this, um, all right. So there's two questions that I have about this uh, is, is uh, one. So when you pitched this, you know, they said, do you have anything I have? This, like, how confident did you feel about it? I, I felt really good about it. Like huh. I, I put so I mean, you know, the pitch I made like a, it's like a five or six page PDF I had character designs, you know, I had the standard like pitch document that, that, you know, you would write up and then I had character designs and synopses for them. And I had, you know, some of the world building stuff, like a couple of vehicles and, and, you know, like a, the, the prison that, that the character is sent to is this like, you know, in the book, it's an island. And so I made it this like floating island, you know, that's like impossible to escape from. I should go real quick. The premise to the, the, you know, my version and the, the, uh, original classic is like a, 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 a young guy is, you know, kind of got the whole world out in front of him and he is falsely accused of treason by jealous rivals who, you know, conspire to send him away to this 
prison for the rest of his life. And within the prison, he meets another prisoner uh, who is trying to escape. And he, you know, uh, essentially like learns from this guy, you know, he's kind of a, uh, you know, mentor to him. And the, the old guy knows the whereabouts of a fortune. Right. And so the goal is like, when we break out of here together, we're going to amass this fortune fortune and, you know, go to say Wataneo, like Shawshank Redemption. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so eventually he escapes and, uses that fortune to exact his revenge on the people who, you know, set him up. Um, and so, you know, that was partly by design that I was adapting this preexisting thing because I've always had this thing of like, they're not going to let me do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't have enough credits to my name, whatever. So let me give them something that they can chew on, you know, and then put my own visual spin on it, which is my strength as an artist. So, I mean, but it's one thing to be like, you felt good about it, but it's another thing to like that they would go ahead with it. Did you think I, I have a shot with this? Like, you can know your own work is good or that you're happy about it. I think that's, that's like, were you surprised that it went or were you like, that's right? <laughs> well, you know, I, I felt good about, here's the thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of talk of imposter syndrome yep. in the creative stuff, right? I'm totally talking about that without me, yeah. but yes. <laughs> I, I feel very fortunate. I don't suffer from that because I know how fucking hard I've worked on this stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, That's great. I, I certainly know that like, um, I think a lot of imposter syndrome comes from, we thought we were really good at this stuff. And then 10 years later we go, God, I was terrible. And I thought I was awesome. So I must be terrible at it now. And in two years I'll go, Oh, I was awful two years ago. Right. Well, um, to be fair, I'm hitting. I'm sitting here as a person who you just said you learned a lot about comics from, and right. then we worked together when you were working at a hotel, and I was like, I think I got something. And now I don't do any of that stuff, and you're selling books, so I've definitely. I don't know if it's imposter syndrome, but something happened there. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, no, I mean, it, like, and I don't. I don't even mean that. Like, there's literally no resentment or anything. I I think it's amazing, and and it's. I have this couple. There's there's a. There's a couple of people I know who I who I'd worked with long ago, and like I'm so proud, uh, Jordan Boyd, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I'm proud of you in this not really paternal way, but I was like, if nothing else, I was like, well, at least I can say I saw something in this stuff a really long time ago before anybody else did. I think that's so Thanks, cool, man. Well, yeah, honestly, dude, your your you know willingness to do something with me back then was like a a confirmation for me. Right. Cause I mean, here's a guy who I follow on these various, you know, platforms who clearly knows the medium and has cool things to say about it, which is what made me approach you in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. So to get your cosign was a big deal for my development, you know? Um, and I think, I think because I was able to build like a strong vocabulary of what I knew I liked and what yeah. I felt the general consensus of like, this is what works in comics. Like, I, I guess I feel as long as I'm doing that and striving to get better at it, then I belong here, you know? That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. I, and, um, so I, I guess I, I felt like the pitch was good and, and, you know, there was still, it still remained to be seen if like, okay, well, if they say yes, now I got to make sure I can do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess maybe that's what I thrive on creatively. And so, yeah. you know, um, that's what makes it easier for me. I, I mean, having a job and having a deadline, you're like, those are the best things for me to, 
Yeah. It's, it's like, that's almost one of the hardest parts about trying to come up is that you don't have those things. You know, you, you, you know, there's nobody demanding it from you. So. Yeah. You know, and, that's, and that's why it was really important for me to, to demand it of myself, yeah. right? Like have very regimented days and, you know, for a long time, I mean, I've kind of relaxed now because, you know, I'm married and nobody sees me anymore, but <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I would wear a tie in my own home every day. You know, I'd wear suspenders and slacks and like, I was, I was dressing for work, man, because, you know, I, I heard John or, um, yeah, John Van Fleet, uh, say in an interview one time, you know, yeah, people always say, oh man, it's great. You don't have to wear pants. You can wear your pajamas to work. And he goes, yeah, but when are you not in your pajamas? And I just was like, God damn, he's right. Like, you know, I, I feel like if I wear sweatpants, I want to do sweatpants things, you know? <laughs> I, I, I will say I have, uh, I work from home. I've worked from home for 12 years now and I get dressed every day. Yeah. And my, and my, my wife's like, I don't get it. Why? And I was like, I don't, I don't want to be in pajamas all day. And that's exactly it. That's why I think you're the first person to ever articulate that in a way that I totally understand it. Cause like when her and my kids are home, like on the weekends and everything to do, they, they don't, I was like, Ugh, get dressed, you filthy people. Right. <laughs> yeah. I no, I got to shower before I do anything. I yep. got to, you know, it wakes me up, sets me off for the day. And I, and you know, I just feel blessed to be able to take a hot shower every morning. Like that's sure. kind of like part of my ritual. Like, man, this is cool. Oh, it's the you best. Know, we just lost power for five days in a in a oh my god ice storm and like man I've never been so grateful for heat and light let me tell you <laughs> do, you have, do you have a generator no I guess that lucky. doesn't happen that often yeah I mean thankfully you know we have like a gas boiler mm. and uh, range so we were able to cook and take showers and stuff but oh, yeah jeez yeah it was fun so <laughs> yeah I've been through that I've been through that here it wasn't it's not fun yeah. um. Uh, I guess, uh, if I was to end this now, uh, it would be perfect because of the way that we just ended that conversation. But I did have another question because of the size of the project that you're working on, uh, mm-hmm. count, and I want to say the count, but it isn't, it's count, but Correct. I really want to add an article, but I'm not going Everybody to. Everybody does. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so when you're doing that much of a thing in scope, you're conceiving, you're writing, you're, you're drawing, you're designing, like what is your favorite part of that to do? And what is your least favorite part of that to do? Oh man, that's a really good question. You know, there are, there are, I guess the boring answer is there are aspects of each part that I love. Like when I'm, when I'm doing layouts, like, cause I'll, I'll just a quick process overview. Yeah. That, that's kind of, I think, yeah, that, that's sort of coming up when I was asking, I was like, okay, do you script it? Do you... Yeah. I, they, they wanted full script and actually, really? you know, yeah. And because I was yet, sort of untested as far as they were concerned, at least I'd never worked with any of them before. So I had to write like a full like beat sheet synopsis. Like basically if, if you were to just see a movie and then tell your friend about it scene for scene, like that's what I did for them in written form. Um, which was actually a great exercise because it helped me figure everything out. Right. Like I, you know, I had it, I had that shit airtight by the time I sent it to them. Um, which I guess was another part of like, you know, feeling like they weren't going to say no because I was like, they, how can they look at all this work I did? And it's, <laughs> it's watertight, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, th- it was like a tentative yes, but we want to see a little more before we green light it. Right. Um, so once I had that, I mean, dude, I wrote this script for this, you know, 120 pages. I wrote it in like 10 days. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, when you're drawing, like, it's so much work, like sitting down and writing. Like, are you kidding me? I just have to type like, this is great. (laughs) Like I was writing 10 pages a day, you know, and I had this tight outline. So it was just kind of like, 
mm-hmm. flowing out of me, which is really cool. How um, much did you like visually plan it in your script? You know, there were certain moments that I knew I wanted to do visually. And so I would write those in mm-hmm. c- partly to tell them what I wanted to do. And also as a reminder to myself, right. Um, but if I had a least favorite part, I think it would be the scripting because like it's way more tedious for me. And it's like, I I just want to, if I could just draw it or at least if I could give myself like a, like a one sentence synopsis or something or a paragraph synopsis for each page or whatever, I feel like I could work faster, but you know, the logistics of this is they need a script, they need to edit it. They need to catch any, you know, continuity errors or whatever you got to get a page rate for that script so it's just kind of like it is what it is you know um and then i'll do layouts digitally um like i'll do four on a on a page essentially and i you know i I do them in like cyan and magenta so i can separate elements i'll send those off for editorial notes um you know usually it'll be like oh let's make this panel a little bigger or you know hey make sure this is clear in the final or whatever and then from there i print those out on paper uh, at a reduced opacity so I can still see the construction, but I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to show up when I scan it as, as badly. Go ahead. So they're pretty hands on in terms of like through the process. It's yes. not, 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 yeah. it's not image comics. It's not, you know, you hand no, it I, yeah, I have a, I have an editor, Rob Levin, great guy. Um, fantastic editor. Every note he gives me is just like, Oh yeah, damn it. He's right. Or I should have thought of that or, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, so that's actually, that's, that's a really awesome. great part of the process. Yeah. Um, you know, and also cause we make this stuff in a vacuum, right? So to have another pair of eyes on it that you trust going like, Hey, this works. Hey, tighten this up, et cetera. You know? Um, and then once, uh, yeah, once I get the a okay on the layouts, I'll print them out. And I pencil and ink over those. I still work traditionally. I've done digital. You know, I did like a year of digital work on James Bond Origin and Mother Panic. And it was a great experience. And I, but in the end of the day, like all the things I love about drawing are inherent to the, like the, the traditional, like physical tactile version of it. So I I gotta, I gotta say you must, okay, if I were you, I'd be thinking of that thing that Bob Shrek said all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, I've never heard that note. But I feel like I've had that thought, you know, like that I hadn't formed into something. Right. It is beautiful. Like if I think about the artists that I really like, I'm, I'm literally looking at a, a Gabe Hardman uh, a, a piece on my wall, yeah. uh, you know, and I can see the brush, you know, I yeah. can. I, and I love I love seeing the brush. It's one of my favorite things. And then have There's, that brush look like a thing. Yes. There's something about like physical, like traditional brushwork mm-hmm. is the only kind of inking that can be lush. Yeah. Right. And I just like, ah, oh, I love it, man. Yeah, and you I totally. know, it's not when you use different brushes and pens and nibs and whatever, like they all have a different relationship to the paper and the paper can make that different, you know, the temperature in the room. And when you're drawing digitally, like it's such an awesome tool and so many people are doing such awesome stuff with it. For me, I can't get past the fact that it's like a nib on glass, no matter what mm-hmm. preset brush I'm using. Right. And yeah, so I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then from there, you know, I scan the pages in and send them off and I've been working with this colorist, Brad Simpson, who's just a genius. Like I, you know, it's like he knows what I'm thinking. Um, and so he colored count and then uh, we have Hassan, uh, Otsuman Elhau who's lettering half of comics these days. Yeah. I've I've been seeing his name a lot. Yeah. And he's brilliant. He, I mean, he, he's a letterer who like really does storytelling stuff. 
and it and it really elevates the you know like he'll do like a squiggly line to the you know to uh like a, a someone who's in distress or whatever uh-huh. right to stem from the balloon and stuff like he's he's really great so um yeah That's man awesome. it's uh it's a great it's a great you know thing to be a part of I'm 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 really happy for you. I think that's fantastic. And Thanks. because the last 10 years of my life feel like a blink. Uh it's <laughs> you've accomplished a lot quite quickly, but I know it was a, it was a heck of a slog that that you drove yourself through. So uh it's a good story. It's a damn fine story. Now just don't blow it. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> Counts <laughs> done. You're already suck if, yeah. <laughs> You can't do anything about it now. You just do the next one. Yeah. All right, well that was so much fun. Thank you. I'm Likewise, glad to man. meet yeah, you, even though I know you. <laughs> Likewise. Oh, and if I, I should, I should like formally plug count, I guess, while I'm here. Right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, it's coming out March 16th, uh, to bookstores and March 17th from, uh, comic shops. March 16th is also my birthday. So hey, I would love it if you, uh, you know, join me in the serendipity there and, and pick up a copy. Um, it's uh if you go to countcomic.com, you can watch a, a trailer that I put together for it. Um and uh you can you can order it, you know, via Barnes and Noble, Amazon, bookshop.com, or you know, you can pick it up at your local comic shop, which is always the preferred uh means if you're especially, able to. Especially now. Yeah. For absolutely. Sure. Well, uh it, it was awesome. Thanks, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, man. This is great. I'm I'm glad we finally got a chance to chop it up for realsies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a phrase I've never used, and I'm never going to. Nor will I ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. And that was that. Uh, I hope that you had as much fun listening to that as I did having that conversation. Uh, go check out Count from Humanoids. Check out High Crimes. Check out all of that other stuff. Go to go to Abraham's website, and and you can see some of the cool work that he's got on there. Uh, thank you to the patrons who unlocked this show many moons ago and brought it back from from dormancy. Uh, it is a, a great thing that I get to do, and uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, and go to ifanboy.com. You can comment on this. You can find other stuff that we have recorded. You can find 94 other Talksplodes, most of which I did, but some of which uh, I didn't. So those go way back. Uh, it's a little history of comic books there. That's ifanboy.com. And, of course, if you want to contribute, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash ifanboy. Thanks very much, and I will be back here with another one of these at some point soon-ish. Thank you. Once we can